Freed from what, exactly? Among other things, Jesus' truth sets us free from what he calls the worries of this world and the deception of wealth. Wealth we'll talk about next week, worry this week. Specifically, we'll talk about the worries that we have about our reputations. The respectability trap, Dallas Willard calls it. The personal approval ratings radar that we all have. Today we learn how Jesus can set us free from our excessive concern about what other people think of us. He'll even set us free from what we think about ourselves. But we have to trust him, and it may hurt at first. Yet, like a shot of medicine, the lasting reward far outweighs the initial sting. So before we learn from Jesus, let us pray. Dear God, let the word of Jesus be our guide. Let the spirit of Jesus be our teacher. And let the glory of Jesus be our single concern. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord Jesus. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Let's pause there for a moment. We unpacked this first verse last week with its many implications. If you missed it, you can check it out on our website or the Apple Podcast or Google Play. By way of reminder, this is an introductory warning that summarizes what's to follow. It summarizes Jesus' concern over the respectability trap, the trap that we fall into when we seek to be respected by others. Here's how Dallas Willard describes the trap. He says, the hunger for titles and public awards in human life, indeed in religious life, is quite astonishing. The bragging and exhibitionism that goes on around the rear end of automobiles, the almost routine puffing up of credentials and resumes, and much that passes for normal as part of our self-esteem culture are part of a life with no sense of our standing in the presence of God. Jesus is concerned about this. The ancients called it the vice of vainglory. It's one of the seven deadly sins, vainglory. Jesus is especially troubled by the way it shows up in religious circles. So after this summary statement in verse 1, Jesus clarifies his concern by presenting us with three illustrations. Doing charity, praying, and fasting. These are three of the most basic spiritual practices. They each highlight a specific relationship. Charity speaks to one's relationship toward others. Fast, uh, prayer toward God and fasting toward oneself. So Jesus, he's trying to show us systematically how to escape the respectability trap. He seems to think that if we get these spiritual practices right, then our relationships will follow suit, and our single concern will in fact be the glory of God. We'll become like the great composer Johann Sebastian Bach. Does anybody know about this fellow here? <laughs> Bach, he signed his music 
with the signature Soli Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone. To the glory of God alone, that will become the signature of our lives. And when this happens, oh, the immense joy that awaits us. Jesus knows about that joy, and so that's why he gives us these three examples. So he starts with the most obvious relationship that we all have, our relationship to others. Matthew 6, verse 2. I'm going to read from the translation of the scholar Dale Bruner to mix things up a bit. He says, So when you do charity, don't sound a trumpet in front of you like the big show-offs do in the meeting houses and in the town squares so that they can get the adulation of people. Amen, I tell you, they are getting their reward. But when you do charity, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your charity may be in secret and your father who is watching what happens in secret, oh, will he reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus expects his followers to do charity. Doing charity profoundly affects our relationship with others. What does it mean to do charity in Jesus' use of the term here? The Greek word that Brunner translates means any good deed intending to serve others. This includes giving money and acts of service and social justice work, etc., If it's intended to serve others, this is included within what Jesus is talking about. Jesus expects us to do these types of things, but the way we do them really matters. Why is that? Here's why. The way we do them reveals the true condition of our hearts. The way we do them reveals our true condition of our hearts before God. If we serve others in a flashy or showy way, then the condition of our heart is this. We're more concerned with what others think of us than with what God thinks of us. If we make a big deal about our generous giving, either to others or to ourselves in the privacy of our brain, what could have been very good turns into a wrong. If we get an ego trip from our mission trips, then we're not really after the glory of God but the glory of ourselves and the glory of our own little group. That's what Jesus teaches here. That's how not to serve others. It reveals a heart that hasn't fully embraced the reality of God, a divided heart, a heart that has forgotten the giver of every good and perfect gift. But if we serve others, if we do good deeds to others, like Bach served others through music to the glory of God alone, then it means our hearts are complete, they're whole, they've been set right. It means we accurately hold before our mind the simple fact that God is the source of every good thing, even all the good things that we put into the world. Now, Jesus is not ignorant of the way the world works. Jesus knows that great donors are greatly praised and that impressive people impress. So Jesus admits in our passage they are getting their reward, but it's not coming from God the Father. 
if our intent is to gain praise from others, then that's exactly what we'll get. If our aim is doing good for others to think that we're a good person, well, then that's what we'll get. That's our reward. Others will think we're a good person, but our Heavenly Father won't be impressed. Thankfully, Jesus not only tells us what not to do, like some religious legalist, he also tells us what to do. In fact, he even shows us how to do it. That's the grace of Jesus, which corresponds to the demands of Jesus. It's in the doing itself that opens us up to the Spirit's work of transformation. You see, we can't change our hearts. Only God can. But Jesus knows that spiritual practices like serving others, they open us up to the possibility of being transformed by God. We can't change our hearts, but we can keep our mouths shut when we do good. And that practice opens a door for God to change us. So this is the the logic of Jesus offering these three spiritual practices as remedies for getting our relationships right. We can do these things, you and I, even today. Here's what we can do. But when you do charity, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your charity may be in secret and your father who's watching what happens in secret, oh, he will reward you. Jesus is recommending that we seek, first of all, to be unselfconscious and unself-impressed. <laughs> in other words, when you're doing good, forget about yourself. It's not about you. I like how the scholar Dale Bruner speaks to this point when he writes, Not only should there be no external trumpets, bum, bada, bum, but there should not even be any internal music suggesting, I am, after all, a pretty decent fellow. Forget about yourself. <laughs> Your charity is not about you, Jesus says. First, it's about God, and second, it's about the well-being of others, which gives God glory. This is the simplicity of living rightly with others. It's not about our heroic acts of charity displayed for all to see. Instead, living rightly with others is nothing more than a deep concern for their well-being. Write that down, Larry. Living rightly with others is nothing more than a deep concern for the well-being of others. This concern, it comes from a heart that's tuned in with the heart of the Father. Good works will flow from such a heart, and then our neighbors will be truly blessed, and God will be thrilled. Or in Jesus' words, your Father who is watching what happens in secret, he will reward you. Perhaps some of you are wondering, what is the reward of which Jesus speaks? Is, are these material comforts? Are these, you know, a new, I don't know, Xbox? or <laughs> Is that even a thing? Do they have Xboxes around still? Yeah? Okay, thanks. Okay, cool. Yeah, is this, is it uh, something material? Is that the reward Jesus speaks of here? And how do we, uh, is, it, is it something we're, we're earning? Uh, so first, let's be clear that Jesus is not suggesting that we earn God's love and affection, is he? <laughs> think about it this way. My daughter Lily, right, do you think she has to earn 
my love and affection by making me happy? Or if you have kids or grandkids, do they have to earn your love and affection? No. It's always there without preconditions. And yet, and yet, when I see Lily acting with kindness, maybe by sharing a toy, it puts a smile on my face. And when she sees my fatherly smile, she can't help but smile back. And we have this moment, right? We are connected in this moment of joy. Something like this relational dynamic is indicated by Jesus' use of the term rewards. That's the reward. Here's what, how Bruner defines it in a more technical sense. He writes, The word reward posits a living, reciprocal, mutual relation between father and child. A father's reward to his child is the father's greatest, the greater closeness. So here's the really good news. When we do our good works in secret, out of the public eye, our father sees. We won't get the reward of human admiration, but we will receive divine admiration. Our loving Heavenly Father will take notice and will put a smile on his face. Do you want to see God's smiling face? When we serve in secret, that's what happens. Our most important relationship of all, our relationship with God, it will grow deeper and stronger, and we'll feel closer and connected, more connected to the God who made us. So tell me, do you want to feel closer to God? Try this. Try secret service in Jesus' name. Give generously with no strings attached and do it anonymously. Act justly without seeking recognition. Focus on the well-being of others, not on what it means for yourself. To do so requires relying on Jesus, even trusting Jesus' word given here in this teaching. But if you do it in secret, your heavenly Father will notice, and oh, will he reward you. So that's the first illustration Jesus uses. He's teaching us how to live rightly with others. We'll, we've spent more time on this one than we will the next two, so don't you worry. So two more practices, two more examples. The second one is this. Prayer. Jesus now teaches us how to live rightly with God. The example he uses is prayer. There's a, a small group going through this uh, journey called the 40 Days of Prayer. And so uh, shout out to you guys. Uh, you'll especially be... Um, be interested in in, in hearing this, hearing what Jesus has to say. He says this, when you pray, don't be like the show-offs. They love to stand praying right out on the street and at the main intersections so that people may notice them. Pausing there, note, note the issue of intent. Their motive is off, which means their heart is misaligned. They're not in tuned with the heart of the Father. Kind of like that piano is not in tune. (laughs) That's how out of tune they are with the Father's heart. Their goal is to get other people to notice them, to think they are good prayers. Unpause. Amen, I tell you. They have their reward. But when when you pray, go into your supply room, lock the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is watching there in secret Oh, will he reward you? 
A right relationship with God is not guaranteed by the fact that one prays in public. Public prayer, it's not bad, of course. Later on, Jesus himself will encourage group prayer and prayer meetings, but the one praying in public must be very careful about the condition of his or her heart. Even if a public prayer begins with sincerity, by the end, the prayer may be more concerned about what other people are thinking versus what God is thinking. The antidote is private prayer. This is the simplicity of living rightly with God. Living rightly with God, you may want to write this down, living rightly with God is nothing more than a humble, conversational life with God. A humble, conversational life with God. This is a gift, but it's a gift we must unwrap and play with often. It's a gift because God's grace in Jesus makes it possible for us to pray like this in such intimate terms. As a father speaks with a child, that's how we can pray to God, our creator. God's grace in Jesus enables this wayward children that we are. He enables us to approach the throne room with confidence, as Hebrews says. But it doesn't happen automatically. This is a gift, but we must unwrap it. We have to play with it often, this gift of conversational prayer. Now, there's two kinds of people, two kinds of people here probably. For those of you who have an active conversational life with God, here's what to do. Don't ruin it by telling everyone about it. (laughs) That is the temptation, isn't it? We are to pray in secret, and Bruner notes that there are subtle ways, well, missed that one, there are subtle ways of showing others that we pray privately, so that the prayer is no longer private. So that's, that's the key number one there for, for those who have that active life. Now, if you don't have this conversational life with God, and you want it, here's where to begin. Pray in secret. It's profoundly simple. Just go into a private space, Jesus tells us, lock the door, and attempt to say words to God. That's it. The words may not come out eloquently, but who cares? You're talking to God and God alone, not for anyone else to hear. Now, compared to other religions, Jesus' words on prayer sound almost irreligious. Furthermore, his teaching is remarkably doable. Just talk to God like you talk to a friend. That's it. Reformer Martin Luther understood it well when he said, The godless delusion is that prayer means making both God and oneself tired from yelling and murmuring. But the Christian's prayer is easy, and it does not cause hard work. It simply presents its need from the heart. It's that simple, yet how few of us take Jesus up on the offer. One reason you and I fail to take Jesus up on the offer is that we're intimidated. We're intimidated by the idea of talking one-on-one with the God of the universe, and rightly so. He made everything, right? That's only natural. But consider this example from human relationships. Every now and then, my two-year-old daughter Lily and I, we go somewhere by ourselves. Maybe it's to the library or to Moe's or to the park. We call them daddy-daughter dates. 
At least that's what I call them, and Lily now calls them that too. (laughs) Daddy-daughter dates. While on these dates, Lily tries to connect with me in all sorts of ways. You know how kids do that. Sometimes she tries to connect with me by talking. Now, do you suppose Lily is trying to impress me with her words? (laughs) Do you think she cares how her sentences sometimes come out awkwardly? Of course not. She doesn't care. She just loves the fact that it's just the two of us, that we're together on a daddy-daughter date. Can I tell you a secret? That's what I love so much, too, that we're together. So it is with our Heavenly Father. It's no accident Jesus uses the metaphor of a father and a child. God so treasures the fact that you've carved out time to spend just with him. You don't have to babble on for God to hear you. The Father already knows what you need. You can keep it short and simple. In doing so, you may just find out that you can talk to God as freely as you talk with your best friend. After all, God's the one who knows you best. Now, one more, uh, one more thing here. If no words come to mind when you go into that private space, shut the door, that's okay. That's fine. Just sit there in God's presence for a while. Say, thank you. Or use the words that Jesus offers in the Lord's Prayer, in the Lord's Prayer, our Father who's in heaven. Or pray the Psalms, the prayer book of the, Vi- of the Bible. Eventually, these words will become your words too. The point is not to sound impressive before God. The point is simply to be together. That's what it means to live rightly with God. And that's the second way to escape the respectability trap. Now on to the third and final way, the final escape route from the trap of approving others, of of trying to gain others' approval. This time it's about one's relationship towards oneself. Now Jesus assumes that his followers will fast. Did you know that? (laughs) When you fast, Jesus begins. But again, Jesus urges us to do it for an audience of one. Listen to the words of Jesus. And when you fast, do not be like the show-offs who put on a very pious face. They screw up their faces so they can be clearly noticed by people that they're fasting. Amen, I tell you, they are getting their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face So that people won't even notice that you're fasting, but only your father who is in the secret place. And your father who is watching what happens in the secret place, oh, will he reward you. To fast in the strict sense is to give up eating food and or drink for a period of time. My guess is that most of us have experienced fasting only because our doctor made us do it. perhaps before a surgery or before some other procedure. Or we fasted because we literally had to. We could not keep food down. But Jesus is talking not about that. He's talking about fasting for spiritual purposes. If you go without food in order to grow with God, say even for one meal, then you'll come to know yourself in a new way. This is the deal about Uh, your relationship towards yourself. 
When you fast, you'll become aware of how dependent you are on food to survive. You'll become aware of how hard it is not to be grumpy when you're hungry. You'll be confronted with the negativity and the loss and the despair that lives within you just underneath the surface. It's no wonder we'd rather ignore the fact that Jesus expects the practice of fasting in the same way he expects doing charity and praying in secret. For Jesus, it seems that fasting is the key spiritual practice to living rightly within oneself. Why is this? I could be wrong, but I think it's because of the myth of self-sufficiency. The myth of self-sufficiency. It's easy for us to believe that we as individuals can provide for ourselves everything we need. We have this belief that we don't have to depend on anyone else to meet our needs, and we like this about ourselves. It makes us feel like we're in control, confident. This is especially true for those of us who can count on three square meals a day, which is actually, it's actually quite rare in the history of the world that people could count on three square meals a day, seven days a week. But it's not true in the ultimate sense that we are self-sufficient. We are not ultimately in control. Life will eventually teach us the hard way. We are finite creatures. We need others, we need God, and we need food. (laughs) So how do we get food if not for the help of God and others? Try to grow food without sunshine and rain, huh? Or try to eat what you want without the toil of farmers. Shout out to my farmers. Or try to eat what you want without the shelves of grocery stores. He didn't even, he was like, what, what? (laughs) It's not possible. It's not possible to get food without the help of God and others. That's what the spiritual practice of fasting teaches us. It teaches us that we are limited We are finite creatures with real needs that only God and others can meet. This is the proper view of ourselves. And this, I think, is the simplicity of living rightly with oneself. Living rightly with oneself is nothing more than living with the awareness that one is a dependent child of God. You and I, we are dependent children of God. And that's not a bad thing. That's just what we are as creatures. So that's why Jesus expects us to fast before our Father's watchful eyes, to remind us of this critical, uh, this critical aspect of who we are. If you take him up on the challenge, oh, will he reward you? But like all the spiritual practices, this one too can be easily abused. We can use this practice to draw attention to ourselves and we're back in the respectability trap, trying to prove to others and ourselves our worth, our value based on what we do. Now, fasting might actually be the hardest of all three to keep quiet. Think about it. When you fast, you feel empty. (laughs) At times, you hurt. And when you're empty and hurt, what do you want most? The comfort and consolation of a friend or the comfort and consolation of food. But when you fast, Jesus wants you to seek 
only the comfort and consolation of your friend named God, the Father. So as we bring this to a close, let's remember the grand invitation in all of this. Jesus knows how we are inclined to make a big deal about ourselves. Look at me, look at me, we say, sometimes in not-so-subtle ways. If we were all toddlers, this behavior would be appropriate. It's appropriate for a toddler. Kids need the approval of their parents. In fact, some studies suggest that parents' approval helps kids later in life as they turn into adults. It helps them relate to God better. But most of us here are adults. Perhaps we never had our father's approval as children. Perhaps we were hardly noticed as children. Perhaps we felt invisible. I'm seeing more and more kids, perhaps you are too, who grow up without the attention that they so desperately need, and it's destroying them. Lord, have mercy. But here's the good news. Regardless of whether we were appropriately noticed by others or not as kids, regardless of whether we ever earned our Father's approval, here's the truth. Our Heavenly Father notices us. God notices you. God sees you. In fact, God wants you to desire God's approval. And God's approval is easy to receive, not difficult. Because God, God is the most loving, gracious, merciful Father that ever was or ever will be. God's approval is not hard to earn, my friends. You've already got his love and attention. God's eyes are on you. Can't you see how you bring a smile to his face? So let us give generously in secret, aware of the Father's delight. And let us pray in secret, treasuring our time with our Creator. And let us give up a meal once in a while, that we might discover all that we have to gain when we're in the comforting and consoling presence of God, the best Father of all. We can't do this on our own, but we don't have to. The Spirit of Jesus is with us. That's the truth. May it set you and I free. Amen.